It's Wednesday, it's after the 11 o'clock news, and it's left, right, and center, and we welcome back to the microphone after a hiatus of, what, three or four weeks now? Yeah, at least. It's, I don't even recognize the room. Bob Metz yeah. is back with us, having uh, just returned from the campaign trail. Have you recovered yet? Oh, yeah. yeah? It was uh, it was wind-down time for us, even a, a few days before the election, mm -hmm. actually. We had accomplished all the goals that we set out to mm -hmm. accomplish. And we so. should make that point again, because we, uh, we, I did a little talking about the election, not a lot, but I did make the point that, that, that you had made to me, and I hope I wasn't misquoting you or misleading people, that you see one of the important roles of Freedom Party as putting issues out there, as getting issues in front of the people, not necessarily getting people elected, although I'm sure that would be nice if that happened. Well, getting elected is a different phenomenon. Um, I heard John Sharp call in the other day who was terribly upset about my, my personal vote total, which was only about 150 votes or something mm -hmm. like that. One thing I learned this election is that we don't steal votes from the PCs. They steal them from us. Mm -hmm. And that the voter is very much in a mindset that he's still operating under a two-party system, which is basically the truth and that any other party in the system tends to skew the results so that we always end up with the largest minority, people voting against instead of for. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think that clouds the mandate of the, of the elected government when, you know, the, the, the first three words I heard out of most people's mouths in terms of why they voted PC was, I was afraid. Mm -hmm. And basically they were afraid of the other two parties. Mm -hmm. And uh, I can't blame them for that. So... Uh, you know, in terms of our own goals for Freedom Party, uh, we didn't even ask anyone to vote for us. If you looked at our literature carefully, it was strictly an invitation to find out more about the party, send in the postpaid card, call us, mail us, write us, you know. And uh, with that, we've already registered 14 constituency associations. We're already on our 15th and 16th, and we want to have 103 candidates for the next election in 2003. There you go. Jim Reed also joined us. Jimmy's been a guest on the program before. He's with the CAW and involved in a lot of different projects around our community. It's nice to have you back again. Good to be here. Um, Jim, I want to ask you about this because of your union involvement. Uh, Howard Hampton says, uh, is quoted in The Sun today, is saying that uh, basically the union's done him in. That the so-called strategic voting led to a Tory majority and prevented uh, NDP wins in a number of ridings where they had a, a good chance at doing it. Uh, the charge has been leveled. Oh, it's not a charge, but the uh, the suggestion has been made that this, in fact, may have some basis in truth that that the unions did kind of abandon the NDP if if you ever were tied to them, and that uh, perhaps this did lead ultimately to the Harris majority. How do you respond to that when people talk to you about it? Because I know they do. Yeah. Well, when, when when you look at the the facts, um, the 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 NDP's own internal polling for the last eighteen months showed them at seven seats. And they ended up in the election with with nine seats. The fact is, uh, I can I can speak for our, for our union. We've put more money, more resources, more people working on NDP campaigns than than any other union. Uh, my problem with strategic voting is I don't think within within the CAW that we went far enough. That we gave our our members uh, enough communication, uh, enough direction in 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 writings where um, where where we couldn't elect an NDP candidate. Mm -hmm. We strongly supported Irene Matheson and uh, Marion Boyd in London North Centre, and we supported Dave Lapointe in, in Elgin Middlesex because Dave is, uh, is a member of, of the executive of Local 1520. Yeah. But uh, in, in London West, I don't know if it would have made a difference if we would have put, uh, if we would have put a, a public uh, uh, commitment to, to electing Daryl Skidmore. Uh, that was a debate that I had within within my local union. That was a d debate that was carried on. I know at the national level, uh, other unions publicly 
endorse the Liberals in certain writings, and uh, I, 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 I found that, that uh, um, I think it was sort of a half-hearted strategy when, when you talk about our union's uh, efforts at strategic voting. Mm-hmm. I don't think, I don't think um, quite honestly, uh, in London North Centre, the NDP would have done as well as they did if it wasn't for strategic voting because we had more teachers, we had more public sector workers, we had more CAW workers working on campaigns. The resources going into that campaign, like it was a, an absolute big-time campaign. Yeah, yeah, and you have to, I mean, you look at the, the, the numbers that Marion got, even though she lost, you look at the numbers she got compared to most of the other NDP candidates across the province, and she did incredibly well. I, I, I quite agree with you. I think it made a big difference in that writing. Um, Rob, I want to shift the, the uh, uh, Bob, I want to shift the focus to you just for a second. The issue of strategic writing came up for some, or strategic voting rather, came up for some discussion, not just whether it worked or not in specific instances, but whether it was appropriate for, uh, for uh, it, groups or individuals to identify an anything, anything but or anybody but campaign. Some people said that's kind of a negative comment on our, it, on our it, system it, as a whole. It, it certainly is an act of desperation. Um, I Personally, I think the strategic voting campaign and everything that the unions did and that the NDP and Liberals were saying guaranteed Harris a majority. Just no two ways about it. Um, I ran, and, and I ran 14 campaigns, including my own, and in every riding the three major parties were basically towing the same line. Mm-hmm. Um, and that includes the PCs who promised to outspend the other two on every single request that was made to them by every single person that came to an all-candidates <laughs> debate. And uh, so if they're going to keep their promises, we're going to go into another spending spree, or they just lied to us and they're going to act smart and not spend all that money mm-hmm. and, and carry on. What's your bet? Uh, um, well, you see, Harris is enjoying a period of time where he can can't but lose because he's still undoing stuff that that uh, Bob Ray and and the previous administrations did. Uh we are nowhere even close to where we were pre Bill Davis days, you know what I mean in terms of the size of our government, the the amount of taxes we're going to have to pay, they're going to go up more and more as far as the taxpayer is concerned. Mm-hmm. Um the big thing the PCs had going for them and we couldn't argue with that when we were out there campaigning and that was tax breaks, absolutely essential. Um, unfortunately, the PCs support tax breaks because it brings more money into the government, whereas I support a tax break because I think the taxpayer deserves a break. You watch. The minute that the tax breaks get to the point where the government is losing revenue, that's where they'll stop because that's what motivates them. Jim, I want to ask you about the uh, how you viewed the three parties. Bob says really not a whole lot of difference. I, I made the point on the air when I did the analysis of the campaigns that that the Tories and the Liberals were not all that dissimilar at all, and the NDP really shared a lot of this similar... And I think dealing with some of the economic realities today, too. Do you see it that way, too? Were there any great... Di- I mean, obviously, some, some fundamental philosophical differences, but in terms of the road we're going to travel, did you see any great differences between the three of them? The, the, the problem that I've seen in the campaign uh, among all three parties, and, and, when, and I attended uh, quite a few all-candidates all meetings and I watched the debates, is that, is that the candidates the mainstream candidates stayed right on message and they were it was uh, uh, we didn't really we had the issues and we had the the messaging that was put out by uh, the central party whether it was the NDP or the Tories or or, or the Liberals we didn't really have uh, um, a, a good examination of, of, of those candidates as individuals as how they would react or how they would they would think uh, quite honestly I um, I was struck by how how much they just recited the party line uh, mm-hmm. when they were when they were 
in, in when there were debating issues. But it was uh, Kim Campbell though who said that the campaign is the worst possible place to be to be discussing uh, policies and issues of substance. She, she was absolutely right when she said it, but she said it at the wrong time. Um, you say that between elections when you can get away with it. You don't say it during an election. An election period is only a time to state your point. You can't argue the pluses and minuses of it. It's too late. By, by you know, this was the shortest election period in Ontario but, history. But isn't it, isn't it sad though that the electorate we can't drum up any interest between elections? I mean, people there, don't there pay is, attention. There is no interest out there. The only people who even hold all candidates' debates are people who who want money from the government trough. It's as simple as that. Uh, except for high schools, mm -hmm. you know, and that's about the only exception to the rule because those kids are there, you know, they, they get out of class, it's a great, great deal for them, and actually they're some of the best crowds. Mm -hmm. um, but certainly when, you, when you're out there, it's the Nurses Association, the Teachers Federation, this, that, and the other thing, and it's everybody wanting in on the, on the government kitty and nobody wanting to take any responsibility for themselves or allowing choice to taxpayers. It was the same story everywhere I went. And... Uh, you know, as long as that, you know, I, I saw it as nothing, nothing but greed. You know, we have, you ever seen this cartoon? That, that describes democracy, if you want to just, and that's exactly what, what every candidate sees facing him. This is a cartoon of a, a big, huge crowd of people, all of whom either carrying signs or yelling, gimme, 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 and the caption at the bottom is democracy. Certain amount of truth to that. Yeah, that's a cartoon from the Toronto Sun, and, and it's very true. If you're a candidate, that is all that you see. And the people who, who are concerned with keeping taxes low and keeping, uh, uh, you know, the province prosperous and stuff basically don't go to the all-candidate debates. You might find one or two in the crowd. Now, it's interesting yeah. to me, the ones I attended, that uh, each of the ones I attended, it was very clear who'd put it on and what the agenda was from oh, the response in the crowd. Absolutely. And you wonder, you know, people who go there trying to get a, just get a look at the candidates, very difficult to do. Well, I got a little in a little trouble with the Registered Nurses Association because I, I basically told them that the questions they were asking the candidates were insulting. They were asking us practically to perform surgery. I mean, every candidate had to draw one of these incredibly stupid questions. Like, that's not what we're running for. We're running to run a government, not a hospital system. Mm -hmm. We're running to run a government, not, not the school system. You know, you, you get a teacher complaining that he hasn't got X number of textbooks in his class, as if any of the candidates up there had any power to do anything about that. They just don't have that kind of control. And... Uh, it's just amazing. You know, I often gave the answer. I said, listen, you could solve all these problems if people could direct their taxes to the school of their choice. And people kind of nod and agree, but then they just carry on with the old line questioning as though it wasn't even stated. Well, we have to carry on here. We've got some important messages. When we come back, Barry's going to join us on the telephone. You're welcome to do that, too. It's Left, Right, and Center with Jim Reed and Bob, I almost said Bob Schlemmer, and Bob Metz. I'm not used to having you here. Well, and I haven't Jim seen Jeff in a while. And we will be right back. This is Left, Right, and Center with Bob Metz and Jim Reed, and we've got Barry, who's been waiting very patiently. Thanks for waiting, Barry. No problem. What's Hi, up, guys? Good morning. Morning. I've got um, I've got a, a little bit of a problem with the uh, uh, the term strategic voting. Mm -hmm. First of all, I think they should call it pseudo strategic voting. Why is that? Well, first of all, um, the way I look at it is. I think if the popular vote, let's say for the uh, Liberals, is forty percent and uh, forty-five for the uh, for the PCs, um, then obviously uh, and 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 the the PCs obviously got the uh, the majority with uh, sixty seats or whatever mm -hmm. it is. Mm -hmm. Then obviously that strategic voting isn't effective. Now, if they were being strategic, they would say, okay, let's break this down. They have a union, let's say in London, and they say, okay, let's vote for uh, Skidmore instead of Wood 
in uh, this riding, and let's vote for uh, Boyd instead of you know Cunningham in this riding, and blah 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 blah. It would be a totally different end result because the NDP still did steal seats away from uh, from the Liberals. Mm-hmm. They didn't take them away yep. from the uh, mm-hmm. from the uh, the PCs. Yeah. So, in other words, if they were truly strategic in their voting, then uh, the results of the election would would totally be different. Well, is it so much the, a lack of, of, of strategy to, to stretch, because the word doesn't exactly fit in that context, but is it so much that, or is it that the these groups are not monoliths? And Jim knows, and we all know, I mean, people talk about the unions as though the unions all vote one way. They're made up of people like any well, other organization. We, we had two, in the, in the last provincial election, we had two CAW members ran for the Tories. One in Windsor, and I can't think of where the other candidate was from, uh, to say that uh, you know, basically your premise is that, that unions can deliver votes. Well, and no, no. See, no, that's that's the Tories' premise. That's what their advertising was based on. Hey, you know, like the, uh, whatever they call the blues, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. They were the ones that were claiming that. That wasn't necessarily what was actually happening. Yeah, good point. So what I'm saying is it's pseudo-strategic. It's not absolute. It's not, like, they didn't, uh, like, I don't know if it's uh, just lack of time because of the, uh, the shortened uh, election or whatever the reason was, but it really, truly wasn't strategic. Well, it, was well, Barry, only, it was only kind of guessing. Let's, if, let's, if, Barry, if someone's voting strategically, then all they're doing is voting against somebody. And that person then, would you not say, is, it, is admitting that they don't care who gets in. And they don't care what gets in or what kind of policies get in as long as the one policy they don't like from the Harris government or whatever doesn't. No, man, I may be being a little too harsh there, Bob. You could also make the point that they're, they would be comfortable with either of the two alternatives. doesn't mean they don't care. It might mean that... Well, if they're voting against, if they're well, just it, voting it, for one of the parties because they're, they're, they don't want the other one, that is what they are doing. And, in fact, most PC supporters are doing the same but thing. But that doesn't mean that they don't care about the results. That's right. Uh, well... Given that the Liberals and the NDP, uh, you know, are going to give us basically the same or worse policies than the PCs, what is the advantage of voting strategically? Well, perhaps you don't believe what you just said. Perhaps you think they're better policies. Well, well it, it, it's, a, it's a cross, a choice between uh, fire or trial by fire and trial by uh, by water kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah. Barry, thanks for your comments today. No sweat. Good to hear from you. Okay, bye-bye. bye-bye. No, Bob, I'm not, I don't think I can agree with that. I don't think that, although I'm not a big fan of anti-voting, I mean, I'd rather see people voting for something, but I think in this case you could, you could certainly make the case, and I know there were people like that who would have been more or less comfortable with the Liberal or NDP government. Perhaps they might have preferred one over the other. What they knew they didn't want was Harris, and they would have been happy with either of the other two. So I don't, I don't I, even think they knew what they didn't want. Uh, I, I was saying this message quite often during the election, and that is that anyone... I don't care which party you vote for, but if you're voting because you're expecting more out of your government, you're going to be disappointed between now and the next election. Mm-hmm. Plain and simple. It doesn't matter whether you vote NDP, conservative, liberal, whatever. It, you're going to be disappointed because basically that's, the government just can't deliver on its promises, and it's not going to be able to, and you can pump ten times as much money into the system, and it will not work. So what has to happen and what every party will do regardless, just to survive, economically to survive, we have to move to freer markets. We have to move to freer trade, to, to fewer regulations, labor and business regulations, uh, to allow people to take control of their own lives and, and, and create their own prosperity. Uh, yeah, a 54% tax rate increase or rate in this country is is. Bird, to me, I can only call it obscene. I almost can't find words for it. 
and that Canadians just complacently accept this and then still expect more from their government as though the money that the, that's being taken from us already um, isn't enough. It, you know, it, it's it's kind of frightening. You know, if, if you told the average high school kid just when they're getting out of high school, and I did say this to a lot of them when I was on the on the campaign trail, that you're going to spend 35 years of your life right now just working for the state. Half of what you're going to earn is going to be going for the government. And it's not even enough. They want more. Now, what would we have called that in a different time? <laughs> you know, and, and, and it's absolutely true. That's how countries, every country suffers its demise by following that path. Jim, I want to ask you about this, this again, this issue of solidarity. You, you mentioned that a couple of uh, CAW guys ran for the Tories and so on. Uh, to me, that's a very positive thing. Do you see that as a as a positive thing that that diversity is there? I do, I do. I I you know I may disagree with with uh, individual members' political views or uh, their outlooks on 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 things, and uh, as long as as long as they don't infringe upon my rights or the rights of others, then uh, we do live in a democracy, and and uh, uh, more power to you. But uh, it, if I if you're if you're going to ask me whether I'm going to support those those sure. individuals, no. Well, do you think that, do you think that the unions would be providing a more valuable service to their members if instead of endorsing or suggesting or leaning towards any individual party, if they simply encouraged their members throughout the year, not just waiting to to till election time, to get involved in the process, to keep them informed. I mean, you, certainly the unions have a great mechanism by which you could reach all your members and say, okay, here's what the Tories are saying today, here's what the NDP, here's what the Liberal, here's what Freedom Party, and just keep them informed. You, is that a valid role for the unions? Or One of the things that struck me, uh, and I talked to quite a few leadership people in the London area and uh, that are in our plans to, uh, leading up to the election, as well as I did, did quite a bit of phone polling for, for different NDP candidates uh, in, in London. One of the things that really struck me was how little the average person knows about the political process. Yeah. How little uh, even people in union leadership know about the political process. Uh, I had one one person uh, thought that he had two votes: one for the party and one for the uh, one one for the individual candidate. Mm -hmm. uh, we got that quite a bit. You called and said you're calling on behalf of the Marion Boyd campaign, and people people wanted to know is she with Mike Harris? I mean. I, I oh, think people I didn't think even in know society, what riding they lived exactly. in. Exactly, you know? yeah. the, the riding the issue was was huge. Yeah. I think one of the things that really hurt the NDP was a change in the election in the election act. Uh, there was a lot when you look when you look at uh, say the riding of London North Centre, the polls that came in north of Oxford Street uh, were the voter turnout was between seventy five and eighty percent. Those were traditional. Uh, Diane Cunningham Tory Tory polls mm -hmm. and she won those polls she won those polls by 60 70 70 percent but south of Oxford the voter turnout was between 40 and 50 percent the problem is is that I, I think people in lower income situations um, quite a few working people feel that they are disenfranchised by the political process and when it comes time to either vote against the government or vote for a government that you want in uh, they don't exercise their franchise. But so that's a problem. But isn't that maybe? Isn't there maybe a role there? And again, I'm not. Yes, I agree with that. I mean, they, they have not been disenfranchised. They disenfranchised themselves. I, I've I've been I've been pushing myself, um, and I've had some discussions with people in the national offices that we should be providing education, uh, a basic political literacy courses. Uh, we we teach we teach everything from arbitration to health and safety to human rights. Uh, I think this is a huge issue. 
we, we teach part of it in our, in our in our paid education leave program, but I think this is something that that the I, I agree with you that that, that unions uh, should have a role with their membership in in informing membership how the political process works, not only not only provincially, federally, but municipally, and how to get involved in the community, how to get involved in the pr program. No, I think all kinds of groups could, could be exactly. doing that. Yeah. Exactly. Well, that's one of the one of the things that I keep stressing on this show to the point I'm told by some of my listeners of boredom is the need to stay involved between elections. But you have to understand, too, a lot of the disenfranchised voter is not voting because they do not feel there's anything to vote for. And and that, that opinion is as valid as any of the rest. Mm -hmm. And that when you have a right to vote and you don't feel there's anything to vote for, you don't have to go and vote and you don't have to go in and decline your vote. Well, your I vote disagree. I think you should uh, go and decline your vote because how do we know then whether you're dissatisfied or whether you're just disinterested? And I think there's an important distinction Well, I there. think that if someone's a registered voter and doesn't vote, then that should tell us the message right there. I think that's all you need. I don't think you need to impose an obligation nah, on somebody nah, I don't to buy, say nah, no I don't, to something. I don't buy that for you a only, You only have to act when you say yes to something. That's the way I look at it. Anyway. Except, but, how, but how do you send the message? I don't believe in negative sales. How, how do you send billing. the message that you, are, that you are disenchanted with whatever? Is by there, making is there sure no you're value? on the registered voters list and don't show up and vote. That should be counted. As a person yeah, who has declined but their you ballot. and I, and Jim and I, we all three of us know there are a whole lot of people out there who are not declining, who are, they're just disinterested. They couldn't care less. Right, right. So you don't think there's any, any, any... Well, maybe they shouldn't be on the voters list. But you think there's, there's, they're not interested in that, that extent. There's no value to any of the political parties, for example, who are setting their new policies to know that 10, 20, 30 percent, whatever, have come forward and said, we don't like any of you guys. You don't think there's any value to that? Well, I think that's the message implicit in the people who aren't voting. Yeah. Otherwise, they'd take the time to do it. Uh, I, I, that's just what I see out there. Um, a lot of people just couldn't care less about politics. They think all politicians are crooks. They think all politicians are the slime of the earth. I've heard it all. And, and, and when you hear their stories and why they think that way, their experiences spell it out for you. It's, it's basically how they feel about and it. We're going to pause for a moment and come back. If you didn't vote this last time and you'd like to tell us why, is it because you declined or you were just disinterested, I'd like to hear from you. 643-1290, star-1290, back with Bob Metz and Jim Reed right after this. Left, right, and center, Jim Reed and Bob Metz, my guests today. And we've got Emily who's been waiting. Hello, Em. Hello, how are you today? Fine, thank you. Yeah. I'm not nitpicking this time, Bill, or Jim. <laughs> okay, Emily. <laughs> All right. Uh, I, I think on this declining vote that's handled wrong. Yes. Um, it, it's a secret vote, right? Yes. You walk into there and you say, I decline my vote. It mm -hmm. could be embarrassing to a lot of people. They'd rather stay home than walk in there and say, I decline my vote. But if the vote is put in the box... They can go into the little booth and come back out again and put their ballot in the box and with nothing on it. That's a declined vote. Mm -hmm. Or at least a spot on the ballot that does say declined. Yes. Might be easier for that, the I think thing. that's what well, they should do. Well, just a blank ballot is, a, it is declined. Mm -hmm. Huh? I, you know, okay. I, th I but think... But instead, the, it, it's treated as a spoilt ballot. Yeah, now it is. And you do have to kind of declare publicly now that you want to decline. Now, I think you've raised a very good point there, Emily. I, 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 it's, a, it, it's a secret vote, and it's the way it should be, and I think they're handling the decline vote all wrong. Well, I think you're right. Thank you for the call today. You're welcome. Take care. Bob's up next. Hi, Bob. How you doing, boys? Great, thanks. Um, <clears throat> my comment today, and, and I have a little question for you, is, is uh, how do you get younger people to care about the election. Uh, I work in a large non-union factory in St. Thomas, and uh, to, just to 
like even things out a bit there we don't have much of a health and safety element in there and when we we try and bring like bring this matter it's it's either shot down quickly or something's wrong and my and regarding to the election and i most of the young people in there that i talk to say 25 and under i'd ask them hey are you gonna vote no well why not i don't care well why don't you care well they're gonna do what they want to do anyways and it, it just seems to me that it's dollar signs everywhere, dollar signs. And how, how, do, how do we get them to, to come out and, and vote and get them to care? Well, Jim, I'm going to throw that one to you. One of, one of the things that I don't think we do enough of is, is uh, really emphasize that in our school system, uh, about what it means to be a citizen of this province and a citizen of this country. And, and part of that uh, responsibility or part of that membership in this in this in this province and in this country is is to get involved and, and to go out and exercise your franchise and the previous caller said uh, was, was talking about declining ballots i mean uh, to me that to me that's that, that that's that's the easy way out i i think i think the important a more important and more constructive way to do it is is to is to challenge is to whether it's whether it's a party you support or whether it's a party you don't support is to challenge the candidates at all candidates meetings is is to call them up I mean, they are responsive, and when they do get in office, to call them up to 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 let them know that these are these are issues. Quite often, and I've and I've talked to the fed. I had a meeting with the federal MPs uh, a few few months back, and uh, we we raised quite a number of issues. And there, these these were issues that that you would think that the public would would get behind that that uh, different factions in the community would get behind, but nobody nobody calls them. Nobody calls them on these issues. Well, I, I know of a lot of people who have called and just end up quite frustrated, and, they, and they, they say the same thing. They say that, well, you can't get anywhere with City Hall, you can't do anything about this, and they get frustrated. It's hard enough but, just trying to get a hold of them. Um, well, yeah, they're not really there to service. They're doing a lot of things that they shouldn't be doing. But, you know, you, you talk about the young people and, and getting them to care. I found that what they reacted best to at the all candidates debates I did in the high schools was, was just plain bluntness and honesty. Um, uh, you know, I found the other candidates to be very hollow and just given these hollow answers. Uh, yes, we'll promise to spend more money on education. We'll promise to give you this and give you that. And you know, none of it's going to happen. I mean, these are just promises to keep things quiet. And I'd get up and say, well, no, you're not going to get any of those things. You guys are saddled with a debt for the rest of your life for 35 years already that you got to pay just to catch up to what we're doing now. Uh, I can't see a, anybody getting too excited about their future when they know that that's what they're facing and, and that the political parties that are asking them for support are the very people who got them into that trouble. But let's not forget that the political parties, Bob, are the people. The, the parties don't exist as these Ab abstracts. I'm, gla I'm glad you said that because that's the next point. And that brings us back to that cartoon where all the people are really expecting a lot up from their government. And, and when you expect something from government, you're expecting something for free. You, you want it so that you don't have to pay for it. And I don't know whether you want to call that selfishness or greed, but it goes well beyond any caring about, about people who are disadvantaged and things like that. That's not what's going on out there anymore. Um, well, I dispute that with you, too. I don't think you can make a blanket statement. Well, like that. for example, I was on the Cablecast debate, and a, and a young student called me up, or called in a question to all the candidates, and said, uh, what are we going to do about making sure he doesn't have to pay an increased tuition fee? And every single candidates said, I'll do this, I'll make sure you don't have to pay that, we'll raise the taxes or we won't lower taxes. And, and I told this person, I said, listen, if you're going to be voting for me, 
I, there's another person on the end of this system. If you want lower, lower tuition fees, some taxpayer out there has to pay for that. And I said, and I've got to represent him, too. He's actually the more important person. He's the guy that, that the politicians should be looking after, number one. Everybody else is number two, three, four, and five. Mm-hmm. And so there's no balance in the system. The, the, the politicians are just on this spending spree. It's a mindset. They figure that's their only purpose of existence. And all three of the major parties committed themselves just explicitly to a continued monopoly on education, a continued monopoly on the health care system. We aren't going to see charter schools under the PCs if they're, if, if they're going to carry through with that problem. Well, I'm not sure they are going to yeah. carry through. Well, see, that's why either they were... Uh, just giving us lip service or they were lying to us? You know? Bob, I think uh, I have an answer for you. I don't know if it's the right answer. I, the only one that I've ever seen work is you do it by leading by example. Yeah. That you get involved and, and, and you keep telling people the value of being involved. And I, I still disagree with Bob a little bit. I think the, the, the parties are just structures. They're frameworks for people. It's the people in the parties that make the difference. And, and the changes that we've had now... The, well, my, my objection no, wasn't but, to the parties, no, no, but the, to change, the ideas that they're expressing. The changes that we've had now, and those ideas come as a result of years and years and years of input from individuals. Yeah. I mean, they don't, they don't spring full-blown from somebody's forehead. These are the results of consensus after consensus after consensus. No, I think that's a very umbrella. naive point of view. <laughs> I think what you're seeing is people getting in on the government trough and not wanting to let go. It's like an addiction. Well, I wouldn't argue that you that goes I mean? on. I, I wouldn't argue that that goes on, but I would say to you, you, you don't build public support unless you've got something that appeals to the public. Well, you know that old saying, the government I mean, that robs the, Peter look, to pay Paul can count on the support look of Paul. At the, look at the Tory government. Look at the evolution of the Tory government from John Robarts to Bill Davis to Mike Harris. Now, don't tell me that parties don't change because of the people who are in them. The, the, the Tory party today is the... Might as well forget being the Tory party. What has it's changed? The, it's they the Mike changed. Harris party. They haven't changed. Oh, sure, sure they, they have. have. They marketed oh. themselves differently. Oh, oh, they're, they're, they're still they're running... The Reform they're Party still, of Ontario. They, the Reform Party of well, Ontario. Well, what does that mean? They're, they're closer ideologically... To, to your party than they than they are to the well, the, the, the Tories the, of the of of Frank Miller or or Bill Davis and certainly Bill Davis that's I mean, certainly uh, true you to know, a point the liberal part the liberal party in this last election was Bill Davis's Tory party I mean they you, ran an opposition I don't even exactly. know if I can say that you know the difference and even is, the NDP has had uh, because the the whole uh, I mean the the whole dialogue has shifted to the right even the NDP has to has had to move their policies and their platform to the right. Well, the reason is... Where they got is, into trouble, where they got into trouble, I think, in a, in a few writings, was was this uh, clawback of the 30% tax cut. Well, in, you know in, in Oshawa, in Oshawa, where, which is a big CAW town, the, the, ND, or the uh, PC candidate won by 9,000 votes. And it was CAW members in that town that helped get that man re-elected. And I, and I, know, the, and I know the PC candidate, I know him quite well. Uh, I've had quite a few, quite a few debates and discussions with them, but the 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 the, the fact is that any party that runs on a on a platform that of increasing taxes or saying they're going to increase taxes is going to lose. Is is whether it, whether they're saying we're just going to target eighty eighty thousand and up, people see that as oh it's the old and why NDP, didn't the, NDP the old and NDP of, of tax to lower and spend. Taxes. 
Pardon me? Why didn't the NDP and Liberals promise to lower taxes? They should have known from the Harris experience that lower tax rates bring in more, more revenue to the government to give them all more money to spend on all the social programs. You're in the middle of a hot, one of the hottest economies right now in, 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 the North, in North America, exactly. in, in the province of Ontario. A lot of, a lot of the prosperity in Ontario right, right now has to do with, number one, our low dollar, number two, our hot export market. Tax cuts... I, well, I mean, those the, are the those debate, are free trade has been something that the NDP and Liberals are opposed to too. Yeah, but no, so, cannot, so here you are referring on, to the very policy. you're leaping over fences here to get into the next <laughs> field. You're, let's go back to the field we're in here. I think okay, the Tory ideology is exactly the same as the NDP and Liberal ideology. Only they want to do it efficiently. That's the only difference. Uh, the Tories at least have some concept of the value of money and that money has to be controlled in some way. The spending cap, but that's as far as they go. They are not lowering taxes because it's good for the for the individual citizen. They know it's good for government. Well, I'm not sure that it is, uh, and I'm not sure that well, they know Well, then that. you have to dispute or refute the very statistics that the government is publishing. Well, they're government statistics. Well, and I think, but, but that's what everybody uses, Well, that's Jim. an argument for another day, maybe, but we'll and go there. Uh, after the fact, statistics are facts. I mean, you, right. you can tell how much they spend. Bob, I want to thank you for your call, but I'll, I come back to what I said. I think the best way to get young people involved is to lead by example. Okay, fine. And just uh, before I hang up, what about uh, raising the voting age to get them to, to take note? And I'll leave you with that. All right, thanks for the call. Okay, bye-bye. Well, it might be like drinking and driving. If you made the age higher, they won't. You know, I can't wait to get there so I can vote. But does that mean they're going to be informed voters? And the answer is probably no. We do have to pause for just a second to inform you about the following messages. Henry's standing by. He's going to join us. And there's room for you, too, right here on 1290 CJBK. Left, right, and center. Jim Reed and Bob Metz with me, and Henry's been waiting. Hi, Henry. Hi, how are you? Fine, thank you. Well, um, I'm listening to you guys talking about the politics and in Ontario, <clears throat> and I think the biggest problem in entire Canada, actually, with voting and polit politics is that there is no real democracy in this country. Mm -hmm. um, there is, a, in my opinion, an outdated old British parliamentary system, which one is, uh, I don't know what it, for what reason people are hanging on to. Well, I'll tell you one of the reasons, and I think Winston Churchill summed it up pretty well. He said it's a terrible system, but it's better than all the other ones. Well, I don't really agree with you. Where's the better one? I was born in Czechoslovakia, mm -hmm. but I also lived in Germany, and I also lived in Switzerland. Yeah. And this is my fourth country, and I still believe that uh, the Swiss have a much better system than every, everybody else in the world. Because at least in Switzerland, you get the choice to go to ballots every Sunday, and if it's no local or provincial or federal, and you give your okay or no okay to any decision that is made. Mm -hmm. While here in this country, it is being run by party system, which I believe is obsolete, because parties are being more or less run by interest groups like big corporations. And I do have a small corporation, I have to say. Mm -hmm. But I believe that the big corporations are because they are with, running with money and the money dictates the economics, they are running uh, the policies of the country. Mm -hmm. Now, if, uh, in my opinion, uh, if you would give the power to the people, then you would see major changes in the country. But everybody is scared to give the power to the people, so they keep the people stupid. 
unfortunately, I have to say so. Well, unfortunately, history tells us all too often that when power's gone to the people, that the people have given it back and given it back to the wrong people to lead Well, that's because, because uh, uh, the people are not being educated. It's just the people, the gentlemen on the phones before said that how do you get the young people to uh, vote? Mm -hmm. First of all, I believe the democracy has to be enforced. Unfortunately, it's a radical view of mine, but I believe it has to be enforced. But it's and not democracy if you enforce it. Well, uh, that is the problem is that if you... The heart, the heart of democracy is freedom of choice. Well, the freedom of choice has well, to be enforced because otherwise it's being abused by certain groups. doesn't matter if it's left, right, or in the center. But again, if, I mean, so you're going to substitute one... No, what I'm saying is that what I'm saying is that every citizen or every, everybody who is uh, able to vote should be forced to vote one way or another way, but it has to be that everybody should go to the election box and put something in there, if they like it or not like Don't it. Don't leave me alone so, here. So, uh, so <laughs> Henry, Henry, what you're saying is if there's only two choices, for example, in my case, liberal and conservative, and I despise each of them equally, you would force me to vote for one of them. No, that's the problem, that there is only two choices. Ah, I, I would like well, to then, take then the power away from the liberals and from the conservatives. Well, what I'm suggesting is, f hold on for a second, what I'm suggesting is that you elect people in your local uh, whatever you know uh, district and what then whenever the people get into power they have to listen to the people of Canada or of the province if the pr people decide they would like to have a health care full covered health care then hold a referendum on it how you are going to finance it what I'm talking about is breakdown of power that's what mm -hmm. I'm talking about. Well, I'm not talking, you know, your power stops only by every four years by the ballot box. And that is not right. I've seen it, you know, in London when they were planning to build uh, f on a Westdale-born uh, road. Uh, the city decided that somebody in the city decided that I would like to have a highway there because he thinks that he's going to be paying for it. And what happened was that everybody on the road in one week time got themselves a lawyer. They were able to get a lawyer and $7,000 for a lawyer together mm -hmm. because it was in their interest. Yes. No, what I'm talking about is if you start to educate the people on every aspect of the life and every aspect of the citizenship and every aspect of the rights, then I think the people, and you give them the right to vote and have referendums every, let's say, second Sunday or third Sunday on important financial issues and political issues. Well, that's and great issues, if they are informed. Then I think people will go to the but ballot What if box. they're not informed? Pardon me? It's human nature. Tell, experience tells us that human nature is going to mean that many of those people that you're forcing to go to the ballot box every second Sunday in spite of whatever training they may receive, they're not going to pay attention. They don't know what the issues are. They don't know what's... The what, what problem is that, uh, sorry to say so, but the people are being kept stupid and maintained stupid. Yeah. That's the, my point. That if you really educate everybody, you, the people well, will do something. I, 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 I would disagree with the statement that people are stupid. Me too. I, but I, well, what, uh, okay, what, it, is, it, may go, cruel, it, it is maybe a cruel statement, yeah. but sorry, but I lived, smart in, as anything, I lived in four countries, and I lived in four countries, and I know how the political system are talk, uh, talking. But why are you here in this one, then, if, if this system is so bad and the but other ones were better? That's because it was my father's choice to move oh, into this country, enough. and I came with, uh, with my father, or I followed my father, and I love this country, but I'm, I have to say, you know, I would like to have certain 
certain things from different countries in here, too. Well, Henry, I appreciate, you know, I appreciate one, the call and your insights today. Thanks so, for joining thank us. Thank you. Bye-bye. Take bye. care. Jim, you had one, something you to say. One of, the, one of the things that, that Henry may be used to is that, that in, in, your, in Europe, there seems to be a stronger uh, political culture among the electorate, among the citizens. Uh, the, their voter turnout is traditionally more higher. The other thing that, that I think keeps people involved in the political process uh, more so in Europe than, than, than here is proportional representation. Most, mm -hmm. most uh, Western European countries have proportional representation. And I think uh, in, in, in this country and in this province, I think that, that's, that's an idea that should be looked at, examined, in order to give more people uh, a I, 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 of, of, I agree of entirely with, with wow. that idea, although I don't support any proportional representation. I support only one, the single transferable vote, because it just happens to be proportional. What it does, though, is what make, is the, explain make to our sure that, what that is. It, it is a system of voting whereby uh, you, you vote for more than, you can vote for more than one candidate in a given larger riding, mm -hmm. and you can rank your choices. So you never waste your vote if you if if uh, if your vote say your your number one choice was Tory and you, then maybe number two you might want to go for a different party because you can guarantee that your number one choice is going to be counted first okay. and you don't have to worry about throwing your vote away. Um, you know that's basically the system and it all it just happens to work out proportionately. It was developed by John Stuart Mill in the 19th century. Some countries do use it. And uh, but now on the other hand, Henry's talking about having referendums every every Sunday or something like that. That scares the heck out of me. Yeah, me too. Um, I don't agree with the idea that people can just sit down and vote the money out of their neighbor's pockets every every Wednesday or Sunday over some kind of project that's going on. If I were supporting referendums of that sort, the only people that could participate in them are the people who were being taxed directly by the choice being made. And uh, you know it has to be. You this, can't. This is exactly what scares me about about one of the major planks in the Harris uh, in the next in the next Harris mandate is is this uh, is this balanced budget legislation, because what's going to happen is the bu the budgets aren't really going to be balanced. When you look at jurisdiction after jurisdiction mm -hmm. in North America, what they've done is basically they're still going to spend the money, but they're going to offset it over a number of years. New Brunswick has it, and 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 uh, it, it really it's really it's a sham. The other thing is, is that in order to get major, uh, say we go into a major recession and we need to spend more money on, on uh, education, training our, our population, uh, welfare, uh, hospital care, whatever, do we, are we going to have to be like California? Are we going to have to go to the, po the population uh, for a referendum every time? I mean, is this, is this the kind of uh, democracy that we, that we want? Uh, well, do you, where, think, it, where, do you think it's where, better just where taking we people's would be, money or asking we, them we would be at the mercy. Well, no, we would be at the mercy of, of I believe, more um, of, of, of the business interests of, of people with money. That can that can forward their agenda. I mean, you've seen. What do you this, mean you, at their mercy? Seen, they're not attacking well, anybody. Well, you see, you've seen what happened in this last this provincial election. You had the Tory Party with twenty-seven million dollars in their war chest. Most of that money came from corporations and business. I don't think in that's fact, what got in fact, them elected. In, in, in fact, in fact, one individual. I mean, you you talked about this earlier on the show. One of the, one of those individuals, Peter Monk, who who is the CEO of Barrick Gold. Traced back to him and his corporations and his directorships of the corporations, he contributed $313,000 to the Tory campaign in the last election. And you don't think that he has a vested interest? You don't think that... that How did he do that? I, I, I'm curious because according to the regulations, the corporations only oh, allowed you to can, give 
you know, a, a minimal amount of money. Individuals can only give a minimal amount of money. Oh, between 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 the election period, there's all sorts of things you can do. Leadership races, you can do uh, uh, contributions to riding associations. Encourage, there's all sorts of people to go to fundraisers. There's all sorts. Yeah, but that money is not supposed to be used to field candidates with. The other thing is, is the other thing is, is when's the last time you've seen any enforcement on it? Okay. Guys, we have to pause for just a second. We will be right back. I just want to raise one quick red flag here on the, uh, somebody's comment. I remember whose it was about uh, proportional representation in Europe. Uh, the, I think one of the things, I'm not saying it's bad, because I actually I support it and I, I like Bob's idea. Um, but one of the things we've seen in Europe, though, is an awful lot more political unrest uh, than we've seen here. Now, maybe that's a good thing, maybe it's a bad thing, but we've seen a lot more people in the streets. We've seen a lot more rioting over the last 40 years in Western Europe certainly than we have in North America over political issues. But maybe it's a good thing. We gotta, we gotta because make... you're, see, you're seeing people starting to challenge the rule of capital. They're, you're starting to see people being affected by what, what uh, ro the role of well, capital is. I'm not so sure that that's what's put them in the streets. Well, no. they, they've been in the streets about all sorts of things, from immigration to defense policy to economic policy as well. But it, and maybe it's the temperament of the times or the temperament of the countries, I don't know. But for us to say, okay, here's this different system that we might be better off with here, I think we also have to consider that we might bring some of that with it. We've got to be very careful. I, I, I think it's a mistake to say that if you're under PR or first past the post, that that is going to be the factor that's going to change your government. It is not. It is the ideology of a nation and of a country and of the people that vote that determines what any government under any proportional or not system does. And I think people overlook that too often. But how does that fit with what you but said it before? Brings more about consensus because, be, to the table. because it brings exactly it, it, it's it's that wedge that you need to get other ideas onto the table and to give the voters feel a feeling that he doesn't have to throw his vote away by voting against or for the lesser of a given number of evils, you mm -hmm. know, and uh, that would be a, a a starting point. I do know in other countries where they do have systems of PR that, that candidates who represent, for example, my point of view on the political spectrum do get elected, but not until they have that okay, system available. Okay, 15 second answer from each of you. Are we going to see a kinder and gentler Mike Harris, Jim? I think in the in the short term, yes, but uh, I, I don't think he's going to take the unions on until uh, probably the next, uh, in the last two years of his term. Bob? But he will take his If by kinder and gentler we mean the, the money taps are going to open up more, well, according to their promises, yeah, that's going to happen. All right. Thanks to both of you for coming here. Pleasure, Jim. It's always nice to have you here. You're welcome anytime. And, Bob, it's nice to have you back. Thanks, Jim. Folks, thanks for listening. On tomorrow's program, David Suzuki joins us. Dr. David will be by to talk about, uh, well, you know, the things he talks about. We've also got Phil Fontaine, Grand Chief of the, uh, of the First Nations. He'll be joining us. And we've got a whole bunch of other stuff, too. So I want you to make sure that you set aside tomorrow morning to join us here on Talk of the Town, or at least as much of the morning as you can spare. Um, what else can I tell you? Ask the experts coming your way with Rob and Chris, and they've got a special guest coming in talking about setting up trusts. So that's just ahead at 1230. In the meantime, for Jim and for Rob and for Ryan and for Kathleen, it's Jim saying take care of each other, mind how you go, have a great day, and we'll see you soon. Bye-bye.